wherever you are, wherever you're watching it, I hope that worship really connected your heart to God. Uh, it's so good to kind of focus our attention on Him. Hey, before we jump into this next message called Had To in our series called About Time for Some Good News, I wanted to say some really important stuff. One is, y'all absolutely crushed it. The YOLO challenge is complete. And over the next, I mean, in half the time, half the time it took you that I thought it would take, which is just a testament to your generosity, your love for God, and I'm praying that that generosity blesses you and blesses others. I know it will. That's just how God rolls. So over the next couple of weeks, um, we'll be kind of collecting all of that gear and uh, training some people on how to use it, and then hopefully, you know, in a month or two, we'll be able to roll that out, and your online experience will be absolutely amazing, and my preaching will be even better as we put you virtually right here in this room during our services. And, and here's something maybe even more important. That, that's kind of epic. This is really important. It's really important if you need to know information about our Easter services, which are coming up. If you're planning on attending in person um, this Easter, or if you're just looking for where you can see or watch this stuff online, you need to go to gfceaster.com gfceaster.com. It's really important. Um, one, because if you're coming in person, there's limited seating and you need to save your seats and you can do so on that website. It's really easy. Don't get overwhelmed. And if you're not coming online, well, that's, that's where you're going to find all the info. If you're not coming in person, that's where you're going to find all the information online. So that's, that's just really important. I hope you wrote that down, gfceaster.com. I don't want you to miss out this Easter. Easter is so important. It's the anchor of our hope. It's what everything centers around. It's, it's, it's why we have hope. It's why all of this makes sense. It all, it's all about Easter. So I, I really don't want you to miss it. It's going to be a, an encouraging time. You ready to jump into this passage in John chapter 4? We're jumping into a message called Had To in the series, About Time for Some Good News. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much for your love for us. And, uh, you know, we're here in all different places watching this and participating in this online worship service. And, you know, it, it's easy for this to become just something we're doing while we multitask around the house, it's easy for it to become just something we put on the background of our break time, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to be us connecting with you, you connecting with us. So I just want to pause and say, God, would you just remove the distractions from our hearts right now, our minds, from our vision, from our ears? Would you help us to press into you and your word and what you have for us? Would you remove me from the equation God, you know I, I need you to use your words to impact all of us. We all need you. Do your thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Had to. I was going to call this message, Cut the Distance, because that's what God does. But then I thought, you know, there's a whole lot of people that cut the distance to us. My parents depending on what I said to one of my brothers, 
could cut distance really fast. You know that's true in your own life. There were certain things that you could do, certain buttons you could push that would have some people in your house cutting the distance real fast. You know, I grew up in a place in an age where moms carried wooden spoons in their purses. I know that's something like foreign to you all. And, uh, but man, that's how my mom rolled. And, and you know, you can't judge her. She had four boys who were very strong-willed and very creative in misbehavior. So she was just hanging on for dear life, I feel like, most days. But now my mom's with Jesus, and uh, she did a phenomenal job raising us and uh, great family experiences. I love every moment of those memories. But man, she would just whip that spoon out from nowhere. She would cut that distance down real fast. Didn't matter where you were. Didn't matter if you were in the grocery cart store. Doesn't matter if you were in the rear end seats in the family station wagon. Y'all don't even know what a station wagon is anymore. With the wood paneling on the side, you know they had layers of seats and in the back you'd sit facing each other. Mom could be in the front seat and cut the distance to the very back of the station wagon in no time. If you pushed the right button. It didn't matter if you were at a sporting event watching your older brother play a basketball game. Didn't matter. Like, cut the distance doesn't cut it because I don't want somebody to cut the distance with anger. I don't want somebody to cut the distance with judgment. It needs to be better than that. And So we're not calling this cut the distance, though God does cut the distance to you with love. We're calling this message something different because as I read this passage, now this passage is a passage that I, I don't preach often. And that's going to sound strange because a lot of pastors preach this often. I think it's one of the go-tos for like the, the pinch hitter preacher, right? Like when I used to pinch hit somewhere, I'd pull this one out and uh, I've heard so many sermons on it. Maybe if you've been to church, you've heard a lot of sermons on it. And so typically I avoided it. I went back as we were planning these, this series out. My old man and I were talking about this passage and how it kind of fit perfectly into the spot. I was like, ah, I don't want to, you know, I feel like I preach that a lot. He said, no, nah, you, you really don't. And uh, I don't remember the last time you did. And I was like, well, your memory stinks. So maybe that doesn't really count. I went back through my notes and and my Bibles, I, I, I kind of take notes, and a little note here or there in Bibles, so I know when I preached it, and I have so many Bibles, but um, man, it's been a long time since I preached this message. And as much as I kept trying to avoid it, God just kept bringing me back to it. Had to. Had to. In this series called About Time for Some Good News, as we're walking down what it means what, what this word grace means, the, the, the thing that is unique to Christianity in the entire world as we're walking down what grace means and clicking off new depths of our understanding of God's grace to us, this passage and the had to really hit me. But you got to see where it falls in line with everything else we've talked about. See, last week we talked about how what we brought to the table and what God brought to the table and how grace impacts that word sin that causes a physical reaction on us. We talked about what sin really is and what it really does and how we need to reframe the conversation around grace always, all the time, no matter how that conversation comes up. 
But we didn't talk about the mechanism of grace in the person of Jesus. And that's what, that's where this plane's going to land with all of its landing gear down and all the wings intact, hopefully. That's where this plane is going to land. Had to. Now I want to read this passage to you or parts of it um, so you can kind of like catch up. If this is a new passage to you, if you've never heard uh, a a sermon preached on this, well then I'm envious of you because man, I love it. And as I read this passage over and over again, it kind of hit me in a fresh way. I love when God does that through scripture. If you've been in church since Noah sailed the ark and you've heard (laughs) more sermons on this than you can count on all of your fingers and toes, well then, oh boy, I I hope you're not clicking off to go see somebody else. I believe that God speaks to us through his word. And sometimes I read passages over and over and over again and preach messages on them and it hits me different each time. I think that's how God's spirit works through his word to help us understand it. You ready for this? It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining, gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, now here's where I want you to like pull your pen out. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. It's a rubble pile now, long deserted. There's a town near it. But this town is near the plot of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. I wonder if that's why Jesus was tired if he was just tired of his disciples because apparently he sent all 12 packing to go pick up the groceries. And uh, I didn't think it'd take that many to get groceries and food. But Jesus here, he's alone by this well with the Samaritan woman. It's, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Had to. He didn't have to. I mean, John's gospel is showing us, it's displaying the divinity of Jesus. We've learned already about him turning water into wine. Like, we've seen him do absolutely incredible miracles. He didn't have to do anything. This was the Word who was at the beginning. It was the Word made flesh by Him and through Him. All things were created. Like, I hope you got that straight by now. Jesus, He's not some teacher. He's not some prophet. He's not some cool dude who said some hippie-like crazy things. He's not some morally astute teacher to follow. Jesus was God come to earth. He had to. And here, I, last time I checked, we, God didn't have to do anything he didn't want to do. 
Here in this passage, it says that, and, and that line, it, it was unescapable for me. It changed the title of this message. He had to. He had to go through Samaria. You see, most Jews would go around Samaria. It was a three-day journey to go through it. Most Jewish people would go around Samaria. They would go around Samaria because of this bigotry they had towards Samaritans. They were considered half-breeds, ritualistically unclean. They wouldn't associate with them. They wouldn't talk to them. I mean, the framework we have for talking about the relationship between the Jewish people of their day and the Samaritan people is racism. And it's not even just subtle racism. It's not even systematic racism, the terms we talk about in today's culture. Back then, in this context, this was just blatant all the time racism. So much so that Samaritans wouldn't talk to Jewish people. Jewish people wouldn't talk to Samaritans. And when it came time to walk through the town, they would go around it and add three days to their journey. I don't know about you, man, but the shorter the journey, the better. When you start having to add extra movies onto Disney Plus for them, the kids to play on their devices in the back, Man, the longer the journey, the more difficult. I'll do anything to cut some time off a journey. Some of you sped through Cresona here just to cut a minute off your time. Like here, they were so much hate and bitterness and disregard. There's so much disrespect and that they would add three days to their journey just to avoid the town. The place of Samaria. He didn't have to. But the phrase intentionally recorded in the book of John under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God's word. God's word for what drove Jesus was had to. He had to. Now he didn't have to because it was the shortest path. He didn't have to because there was something there he needed to pick up. He didn't have to because he wanted to send the disciples to pick up some sushi that you can only get at this one spot. He didn't have, he had to because of this encounter that was about to happen. And here I see this passionate drive of God in the flesh pursuing a person to have an encounter with him. And then I'm wondering, like, man, like, <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe you, maybe this moment has been a result of his pursuit of you, to have an encounter with you, to show you something far greater than you thought you were going to find just trying to fill up a bucket of water today. He had to. It reminds me of the passage when, when Jesus was 12. It's found in Luke, I think, chapter 2 and verse 49. Jesus has gone to the temple. He kind of snuck away from his parents as they were going to do some stuff and, you know, um, at temple, probably celebrating Passover. I'm not sure. I didn't deep dive into it this week because it's not the center of this sermon. But, you know, Jesus is at the temple and he kind of sneaks away from Joseph and Mary, 12, 13 years old, most scholars think. At this time in Luke chapter 2. And where they find Jesus is sitting down in the temple teaching all of the teachers of the law. All the 
people there. He's teaching them from God's word, from the law. He's teaching them. And they're listening attentively and wondering at this kid, this preteen, this 12-year-old, teaching them all of this really deep and meaningful stuff about God from God's word. His mom's like, yo, where did you go? Freaking out, you know, like, hey, paging Jesus, where are you? They find him finally sitting down teaching, and she's like, why did you leave us? You shouldn't have gone. And he said, don't you know I had to be in my father's house? You see, the driving force for Jesus was God's purpose. It was God's, it was his purpose for being here in the first place. In, Luke, in John chapter 6 and 38, He's talking, and it says that he's talking about how he is the bread of life. And he says, for I have come down from heaven. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I love that he answers that question. That I shall lose none of all that he ha- those that he has given me. I'm not going to lose any of them. He came for a purpose. His purpose was singular. It was shared among the Trinity. He, being God, was here on purpose and for a purpose. He wasn't just here playing games. He wasn't just here to do whatever came at a whim to him. He was here on a mission, and his mission was for you, so he had to. We say that a lot. God's for you, his purpose in Jesus was to cut the distance in love to you. His purpose in Jesus was provide the mechanism for grace for you, God for you. We say that a lot here, that God is for you and we are too. The most important part of that is the first part. And sometimes I feel like I'm saying that over and over and over again, and maybe people are getting sick of hearing it, but I think I say it over and over and over again because I'm, I'm not quite sure if it's sunk in. Like, I, don't, I don't know if that's really sinking in through all the distractions you have going on right now in your house or your home or your car or wherever. I'm not sure it's sinking in. Wherever you're watching this, like I'm, I just feel like we, we hear that and it kind of glances off of us without really realizing the depth of God's purpose through Jesus for you. He's here for you because he's for you. You see, he had to. He had to go to this well in the middle of the day when no one would be there and sit down. He had to send his disciples off to get lunch. All 12 of them. He had to be driven by this purpose to have an encounter with this woman. She's taken off at first. She's kind of like caught off guard in this relentless pursuit of her. She is completely unaware of, kind of like you and I and how often we're like this woman. I think that's the point here about this woman. Most of the focus ends up on her when sermons are preached about this passage, I think the focus should probably be more on the well. That was the point Jesus was trying to drive home. But this woman is important because in so many ways she represents all of us. 
And she's taken off, doesn't even really understand what's going on in the pursuit of her, and is confused by this question he brings up. So she says in response to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. I don't get it. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In her sarcastic response, she captures this idea that there, in her mind, there's no such thing as a water I don't have to keep coming to get. There's no such thing to being full and never being empty. There's no such thing as a place where I can drink and overflow and never, ever, ever be thirsty again. That doesn't exist, and her sarcasm is thick with it. And Jesus cuts close to her heart and says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you know have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And here you have a tired, worn-out woman rolling into the well at 12 noon. That's not when they went to this well. This well was a quarter of a mile, likely, to a half a mile away from this town it was close to. That's a long walk in the wilderness in a dangerous area, alone as a woman. You see, they would do this as a social event, go pull water out from the well, but maybe she felt like she couldn't be with all the others. She wasn't part of the community because her flaws were well known to everyone. The rumors that floated around her, well, maybe she was sick of seeing the whispers or hearing what people were saying about her. Maybe she was sick of looking at the look she would get as she walked down the street, so it was just easier for her to avoid. And what she had been avoiding most is not just the rumors or the people. What she had been avoiding is the need that kept driving her to men to try to fill a void. It was a thirst that would never be quenched. And Jesus here cuts so close to her. Sitting here at a well, he cuts close to her heart to point her to a greater need and a better well. You see, we're often drawn from the wrong wells. We pull from the wells of relationships that lead to disappointment. We pull from the wells of success that can be so empty and defeating. We pull from the well of whatever feels good in a moment, only to find it flighting, and we are so thirsty. The need in our heart unquenchable with the things and the wells we run to. Jesus, he pulls up close to this woman and says, it's the wrong well. I'm not, I'm not calling you out for any other purpose than for you to see that there's a better well. A place where you can find your deepest needs met. A place, that thing that's been missing, that thing that you've been looking for, the place to have it 
and experience it. A place you can find your joy and peace. It's not in another relationship that you think is just better than the last one. It's not in a new man or a new day or a new job or a new purpose or a new season. It's not in a better year. It's not in doing you better. It's not found in any of that stuff. It's found in a completely different well. I wonder if you got the wrong well. It's time to get the right one. Jesus is like, it's me. This starts this exercise in avoidance for her because, you know, it's too close for comfort sometime. So you just, uh, if you could just sit with Jesus long enough and get past the discomfort, man, if you could just sit with him more and, and stop avoiding the issues and the needs in your heart that you want to avoid. You could just sit with him and learn from him and listen to him a little bit more. He's for you. He wants the best for you. He wants to fill the needs of your heart. He wants to give you everything you've been missing. That's why he's here. The mechanism of grace. The person of Jesus. God passionately pursuing you. She deflects raises a theological question, gives a theological answer. Everything's changing. doesn't matter where you worship. It's that you worship God in spirit and truth. She tries to deflect one more time, saying, well, I don't you know, maybe know about all that, but I do know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Ultimately, finding her hope in the right place Pushing it on to Jesus where he says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. <laughs> it's me. It's always, always been me. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in this moment of grace for this woman, alone at a well, where Jesus is pulling down all of the barriers in her, her heart, he's, he's cutting the distance to her, he's making a way for her, we see grace on display found in the mechanism of grace. Jesus Christ, who had to cut the distance to us so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God, so that our hearts could be made well and whole again, so that we could have the full life that we were designed to. He had to cut the distance to this well. He had to cut the distance to you, wherever you're watching it, and he willingly and 